me just check my tuning real quick here. Third springtime is really hard on a guitar. Oh, God, I thank you so much for today and this opportunity to just come together and worship you, God. God, I thank you for our family. I thank you for our family that's near, and I thank you for our family that's far, God. And I thank you that you, you bring us together, Father. Thank you that you bring us together, God. Your love never fails 
together for my good. You made all things work together for my good. You make, you make all things work together for my good. One more time. You make all things work together for my good. You stay the same. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the I know that you love me and your love. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, you love me your love never fails and your love never fails oh your love never fails your love never Apart from you, let it fall. 
in no hurry this morning. Well, I'm not. Maybe you are. Let's just take another moment. Let's just listen to Holy Spirit.
Especially that, that third line. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But still you give yourself away. That's not past tense. The Bible says that his grace is new for us every morning. That his love never ends. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel like, yeah, I, that's great. We're singing about God's love, but couldn't love me. He knows what I've done. There's no way he loves me. He knows who I am. There's no way. That's true. You couldn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But God still does it. And his attitude isn't, I have to do this thing. His attitude is, I get to do this thing. way the best way to show thankfulness for a gift is to use it to walk in it to exercise it let's sing this again this morning just a little bit longer you to think of yourself not as undeserving, but, but deserving because Jesus said so. That's where we get our value, right? Gold is only worth as much as gold is worth because people are willing to pay for it, right? The value placed on your life was set by Jesus a long time ago. So you might not feel worthy, but he paid a lot for you. Oh, uh-huh. 
deserve it Still you give yourself away Oh, I could turn it I don't deserve it Still you give yourself away Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God God, I thank you again so much for this morning, for this moment. So 1 Kings chapter 4, in verse 29, God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. Keeping in mind that in those days, all of your knowledge that we keep stored in our brain now in those days kept in the heart so he had knowledge over all kinds of stuff God gave him that knowledge you know why God is so good he gives us answers all the time look back in chapter 3 therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people Solomon asked for it specifically. And if you wonder, why did he ask for that? Why did he ask for that little nugget? And a couple of chapters before that, maybe just one, David's on his deathbed, and he's giving Solomon some instructions deathbed last-minute instructions twice twice he tells Solomon to his face you are a wise man so parents get this what God says this morning you have it in your hand to direct your children to what they need. And maybe you don't have small children in your house. Maybe you have a co-worker at work. Maybe there's somebody who serves you at McDonald's. Maybe there's a kid down the street who's driving you to distraction. But God says this, 
you have it in your hand to direct your children to what they need. And so many times when my kids are growing up, so stupid not like you guys out there I mean you guys come up with all this awesome stuff you teach your children you train your children I wasn't like that <laughs> but listen it doesn't matter what you know is God in you if God is in you Jesus is in you if Jesus is in you the Holy Spirit in you and if the Holy Spirit is in you he speaks out of your mouth what God needs your kids to know speaking to us, for guiding us, leading us. Help us to become more like Jesus so that we only do what we see the Father in heaven doing. God, I thank you for this day, this group of people, God pray that you would speak through me this morning, but I pray that you would speak something of value to everyone here, God, whether it be through me or through Holy Spirit or through their own random thought processes, God. You are holy and wonderful, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, feel free to have a seat if you're not already sitting. And if you're already sitting, stand up and sit back down. bad because I actually worked for this thing so y'all got to sit down and enjoy it or not I don't know <clears throat> we'll see where we go okay so my name is Derek there it is and um, I started coming to camps with uh, the Cody crew when I was 15 years old I think I went for six or seven camps and uh, now my wife and I direct our own camp in South Dakota and uh, we are so excited to get to help do with this generation what you guys did for us, our church hosts. And, um, you know, I know full well, well, maybe I don't know full well, but I know 
fairly well the value of, of the home church putting on a camp and what that can mean for the futures of, of young people. And uh, so every year, my wife and I and our team pour into uh, not just our camp, but the camps around the district. I don't know if you guys know much about Foursquare, but we are part of a six-state uh, district where all these six states kind of work together. And you guys are actually part of that. Uh, and, and I was so excited when I found out that Wyoming joined the district that I'm, you know, the, our district, because I was like, yeah, I get to be with my family again. And uh, it's true. Yay. Okay, so here's what's, here's what's going on real quick. Is it okay if I come down here? Yeah. I was going to do it anyway, I think, but... Okay, so I work with teenagers. Yesterday was the 15-year anniversary of the day I started as a youth pastor. 15 years of hanging out with teenagers, they're not this quiet. I need something from you. I just need, like, a giggle, a laugh, uh, a boo would be fine. Boo. Any of that would be appropriate. Just let me know you're alive, okay? Because it's so weird when I go to speak to adults and they're just like. <laughs> no, just carry on your conversation. I'm right here now, so if I'll hear it and I'll share it. Um, be like passing notes in class. I'll read that to the class. Hey, this guy's boring. Oh, <laughs> shouldn't have read that one. Oh, man. I'm pretty ADHD, like a lot, little, legitimately, and I, I struggle to focus, struggle to pay attention. So if I take a moment and I'm just quiet, I'm just regathering my thoughts and trying to get back on track. And that's what I just did a moment ago. Uh, I was originally going to share a message. And I had this idea that I felt was God-breathed, and I was going to move into it. I was going to get my research done. <clears throat> and then... Uh, I picked my worship set. It was this set, same set that we just did. But last Sunday, I'm in uh, Alpha. Uh, my wife does a Bible study Sunday mornings during our first service, um, at least for another couple of weeks she does. It's called Alpha, and you watch a video, and then you have a discussion with your small group. And this verse was read in the video, and uh, it struck me. It, it changed. I heard it differently than I'd heard it before. And I understood something new, and I had Pam pause the video, which is pretty unorthodox. That's not what you're supposed to do when you're doing this class. But I was like, pause that. We need to talk about this thing. And we were only like 25 seconds into the video. We were barely in. I'm like, stop, stop, stop. So the whole group is like, something broken? I'm like, no, nothing's broken. But I had this, this idea. I had this thought. And I share it with them, and we discuss it. For like 20 minutes, we discussed this thought that I had after 25 seconds of video. And I stopped, and I looked around, and I went, Pam, I'm going to have to change my message, huh? And she's like, I'm like, so I did. And the song still worked, so that was good. Uh, that's what you want. You want Holy Spirit to be so in charge that when he shifts gears, that everything that he doesn't shift still works. And uh, so today, I'm going to share with you um, a verse that is one of my favorites that I've read for my whole life. It's been something that I've always kind of held on to, something that I've always gone back to. I teach from it multiple times a year, but as of this day, of this, this last seven days, eight days, my understanding of what it means has shifted drastically. This is one of those rhema God things where uh, God speaks something new out of something old, something new out of something that I already thought I understood. And um, maybe for you, this is not something new. Wonderful. 
I'm glad it's not something new if, that, if that's the case for you. But it is for me, so let me be excited, okay? <laughs> yeah, I feel like a kid. And then last night, last night I went back to, I went down to the, uh, I went to the, um, like the business area at the hotel. And I sat down and I was just going through my notes and putting sticky notes in my Bible so I could find my spots real quick, you know. Uh, just kind of doing finishing stuff. And I, I just had this, this moment. I did a quick search. And I, I found this one other verse that we're going to read towards the end. And just my mind just kind of went, and tears came. And I don't cry often. I used to cry a lot. But I don't, I don't cry often anymore. And I was just like, God, what are you doing to me? He's like, I'm wrecking you. <laughs> like, no. Ah. All right. So. Whether, whether this is not new to you or you get wrecked this morning or you're just indifferent, that's cool. It's all cool. Everybody is in their own journey and gets to be where they want to be, and that's totally fair. But, guys, I'm so excited. Let's, click, uh, let's uh, open up to uh, Romans 12. And we're just going to read verse 1. That's all we need to start this thing. Romans 12.1. We will be coming back to Romans. Um, we're going to go to a few other places this morning. Um, but really, since this is new revelation to me, I haven't really been able to hash it out. It's going to take me years to really kind of hash out everything that's in this. But I wanted to share with you. I felt like God wanted, like, like God shared that with me. He opened my eyes. He opened my ears last Sunday for you guys this Sunday. So Romans 12.1. And so, oh, I'm reading NLT. Um, that's what my students understand best. So that's what I read from. Uh, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. One word. One word. The definition of one word in this, message, in this, in this, in this uh, verse changed for me. And it's blowing my mind, okay? And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. When that was being read on that video... They had the words coming across the screen in like artsy blocks. And the word sacrifice popped in. Now, I've always, I've, I've always read this, and I kind of gloss over the word sacrifice because it always seems to me like it just means um, die to self, right? You're on the altar, you're the sacrifice, but you're alive on the altar because obviously not dead, but die to self, live, to, live as Christ, dies gain, all that kind of stuff. It, that's just kind of what I always just accepted that as. It's a simple definition of that. It's, it, it's a bit redundant uh, because there's, that's said so many other places in so many other ways uh, in the Bible. And, and, and it, it seems you know, necessary, but also just a little bit shallow of a definition. But God spoke to me about tense. The picture of myself on the altar is a past tense sacrifice. But a sacrifice is a sacrifice whether it's dead yet or not. Hang on a second. I got to decide how to do this. I think I messed myself up. I'm all kinds of messed up. Okay, if we look at the definition of the word sacrifice, in Greek, the word is thusia, um, and it just means the act or the victim, literally or figuratively, of sacrificing or to kill. 
So moving forward, we can understand that the word sacrifice does mean the word, does equal victim, okay? And it, it's a harsh word, it's, um, it's important that we understand that we are the victim of our own sin. Our own sin nature has put us in the place where what is right for us is death, right? Because the wages of sin is death, right? So being human, being born as I am, I am a sinful creature, I deserve to die for my sins. Therefore, I am a sacrifice. I am my own victim. But what if in this, like, like I said, the definition of sacrifice is literally or figuratively. I think we always just are like, you're a fig, uh, to be a living sacrifice is a, a figurative thing, right? Like I imagine myself on the altar and, and I'm alive and it's, 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 it's figurative. But what if it's not meant to be figurative? What if it's meant to be literal? What if we are meant to be the living sacrifice? And that doesn't make any sense yet. I'm getting there. It's going to make sense because this clicked in my head and I remembered instantly this story. Yeah, I'm taking this out of order. I remember this story. Uh, I had some, some Messianic Jewish friends that went to college with me in, in, in Christ for the Nations, British Columbia. And we were talking about sacrifice at one point and they were talking about um, the Passover lamb and how it's supposed to be a, a spotless, clean, pure lamb that was taken from the herd after birth, right? So, all the, all the lambs are born, they go, they pick the best one, the cleanest, the best, the, the awesomest, and they take that home. And it doesn't stay out in the fields with the rest of the flock. It doesn't live outside in danger where it's going to get hurt. It actually lives with the family, like a pet. It lives in the house, it eats off of their table, they take care of it daily. And when time for that sacrifice to come, the family is essentially killing their pet to cover their sins. Killing their pet. Can you imagine, like, Fluffy on the table? You guys have a, a dog, maybe? Something that you can connect to, a, a family pet, something that you know, something that you've loved, something that you've cared for, that your children have grown up with, that your children have cared for. They, they shared this story with me, and then when I read that we're, we're the living sacrifice, the living sacrifice is just the pre-death sacrifice. It's still the sacrifice from the, mo the moment they pull it from the herd. The moment we sinned, we became our own sacrifice. Okay? And when I became my own sacrifice, um, I can either die for my sins or Jesus can die for my sins and then I get to be a living sacrifice who is treated how? He's welcomed into the family's home, loved on, cared for, kept clean, kept safe, plays with the children. Okay? So today we're going to take this understanding of the idea of the living sacrifice and we're going to see how it might apply to the modern day New Testament Christian by looking at what it would have meant to the Old Testament follower of God. I would hope that through this discussion we would all grasp a better understanding of the heart of God towards us, both as the individual and as a group. Okay? So, in the Old Testament there are five major sacrifices and I want to point something out. Not having a clock on the back wall is dangerous. It's scary. No, that's okay. I broke it. It's broken. It, it loses five minutes a day. I have to every morning put it back. Yeah. I walk into walls. I'm fairly wide, and I hit walls every time. I like, I like walk into doors that are half open and smash it. It was a nice watch. <laughs> Until I got a hold of it. 
Okay, so um, we're looking at five main uh, Old Testament sacrifices. Um, I took this from an article written by William K. Gilders um, called Sacrifices uh, in Ancient Israel. Uh, the first is the burnt offering. We're going to flash through these really fast. Um, if you guys have a problem keeping up with me, maybe I speak too quickly for you. I apologize. It's just that I'm used to talking to kids, and I'm talking to kids. I just kind of go, and my mind goes, and I go really fast, and I just don't really pay attention. And so here we are, and I'm slowing down, but we are going to go quickly through the burnt offering. Uh, it could be a herd or a flock animal. Uh, it could be a bull sheep or a goat. It could be a bird uh, or a pigeon. But the whole animal was to be burned at the fire. Um, it's pretty interesting, but... Um, not super important to what we're talking about today, but we understand that there is a burnt offering, so you could consider yourself a bull, a sheep, a goat, a pigeon, whatever. There's the grain offering, <clears throat> which doesn't apply to this discussion because grain isn't really a living, can't, can't really be a living sacrifice, so that's not going to apply. Uh, the sacrifice of well-being or fellowship. Um, this was a sacrifice that was uh, about communing with God, but also about a feast, so it was a family kind of a, kind of a, a moment. Um, <clears throat> that could be a herd animal or a flock animal, but really that's a barbecue. Right? That's just, that's just a barbecue at church is all we're reading about here. Uh, the next one was the sin pur or purification offering. This one is important because this is the one that dealt with the disruption in the relationship between human beings and God. The offering depended on the identity and status of the person required to make it. The chief priest, for example, had to bring a bull, whereas ordinary Israelites brought a female goat or lamb. Those who were too poor to afford a goat or a sheep could offer birds and an offering of grain or flour was acceptable from the very poor. <clears throat> this is going to be important here in a minute when we start reading out of uh, 2 Kings, but just remember that one, okay? Uh, the fifth is the guilt offering. This dealt with distinct categories of wrongdoing that disrupted the divine human relationship, such as unintentional discretion of sacred things. And again, it's not really super important what we're talking about because really we are talking about sin. That's what, that's what Romans is about. It's talking about the relationship between God and man and what Jesus came to do and bringing the Roman people into this understanding of who God is for them. That's why we have the Romans road out of Romans, you know, the way to Jesus, the way to become saved and live a, live a holy life before God. So <clears throat> um, all of those are, are, are great sacrifices, but I want to look at the Passover sacrifice as well because the Passover sacrifice was a little bit different. It was to protect Israel from, from themselves, essentially. But you remember, remember the... Uh, <clears throat> oh, yeah, let's just read that real quick. I like the Passover sacrifice because it pertains primarily to sheep and goats. And since the Bible spends so much time comparing us to sheep, it makes sense to me that this specifically sheep-centered sacrifice would be appropriate to this discussion. So, I forgot to put a marker in that one. Go into Exodus chapter 12. Verses 1 through 6. I'm just going to read this to you. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. <clears throat> okay. While the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice, one animal for each household. Okay, pay attention this moment when God does this. It's not just something that I want you to celebrate as a, as a uh, holiday in the future. He's saying your whole world shifts to this moment. This moment is your new beginning. And this moment will always be your new beginning from here on out, even today. 
That's why Easter in, 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 is always in a different time, because Passover is always on a, at a different time, because the Jewish calendar is separate from ours. So, um, where did I stop? Now, the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each family must sacrifice an animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. That was the first time around, okay? And our Bible is, when, when, you're, when, you're look, when we're looking at um, historical Israelite uh, practices, they had supplementary books that we don't have in our Bible. So it's kind of hard to follow that. So when I wanted to see how the, the Passover um, tradition went along, I had to step out of the Bible and step into um, some other research. Because again, the, the Christian Bible, and, and they just don't always connect like the practices of, of the Hebrew people, um, was outside of that original, the Pentateuch, the first five books there. So um, this is from an article called Passover Sacrifice uh, by the Jewish Encyclopedia Board and a guy named Jacob Zalel Lauterbach. And I, th these are just some excerpts. Um, the sacrificial animal, which was either a lamb or a kid, so it could be a goat or a sheep, um, was necessarily a male, one year old and without blemish. Each family or society offered one victim together, which did not require uh, the laying on of hands. Although it was obligatory to determine who were to take part in the sacrifice, that the killing might take place with the proper intentions. So it was, a, it was even important who killed it. Um, so there, there's definitely some tradition in here. Only those who were circumcised and clean before the law might participate, and they were forbidden to have leavened food in their possession during the act of killing the lamb. The animal was slain on the eve of the Passover. The killing took place in the court temple. It might be performed by a layman, although the blood had to be caught by a priest, and rows of priests with gold or silver cups in their hands stood in line from the temple court to the altar where the blood was sprinkled. There's a whole lot more information there that's really worth looking into, but it doesn't apply, so I cut it for today. Uh, but <clears throat> when the sacrifice was completed and the victim was ready for roasting, each one present carried his lamb home, except when the eve of Passover fell on a Sabbath, in which case it might not be taken away. Then they took their lambs home and roasted them on a spit of pomegranate wood. No bones might be broken either during the cooking or during the eating. The lamb was set on the table at the evening banquet, that's the Seder that we hear about, and was eaten by the assembled uh, company after, it, after all satisfied their appetites with the regular food. The sac so they ate all the regular food, then they had the sacrifice. The sacrifice had to be consumed entirely that same evening, nothing being allowed to remain overnight. While eating it, the entire company of those who partook was obliged to remain together, and every participant had to take a piece of the lamb at least as large as an olive. Okay. So from this story and this perspective, let's say I have me, my wife, my children. Um, we have a lamb. This lamb has been in my house for a year. We got a dog last fall. She was a puppy about this big then. She's about this big now. And she's been a part of our lives for, what, eight months now? Seven, eight months now. And um, 
all of our stories, our whole lives have revolved around taking care of this dog. We have to leave, you know, after church, we don't get to go out to eat. We have to run home to let the dog out. We have to, you know, plan for her, take care of her. Even coming here, we had to stop in Gillette to drop, my, drop the dog off at my mom's house so that we could come here. Our lives have been fully impacted in only this short time with this dog. And when we come home, the dog is always there. It's, it's a constant in our lives. And we always look at this dog thinking, we have a dog. Let's imagine that this dog was the lamb that was supposed to die for our freedom, to represent our freedom, to represent our, our, perhaps our sins if we're looking at some of the other sacrifices. Let's, let's look at this lamb, and every time I come home, I have to feed it. I have to water it. I have to clean up after it. It sleeps at the foot of my kid's bed. It's always happy to see us when we come home because we're always going to play with it, and it's super excited. And every time I come home, I see this animal. Then, on the day of Passover, Dad takes this animal, they kill it, he brings it home, and now my pet is, we're in Wyoming, we can be honest, right? This thing's skinned, it is a hunk of meat that used to be fluffy. And now, every person at the table has to eat part of this. What would that do to your understanding, into the gravity of that sacrifice for you? the importance of that sacrifice for you and your family, when everyone, even the littlest, had to take at least the size of a grape. And the whole thing had to be completely taken out, had to be completely eaten that same night, after you'd already filled up on other food. There's all kinds of reasons for that and interesting things, but, but just, just, for, just as far as the sacrifice goes, applying the importance of the sacrifice to yourself, uh, Americans don't get this, Christians don't get this, because we don't understand that sacrificial system. We don't understand what it was like to have this um, in our lives continuously, constantly. Because as soon as Passover is over, as soon as that is over, it's springtime, new lambs are being born, and we have to start the process over again. That heartbreaking, gut-wrenching loss of a family member, essentially loss of a family member. You guys have pets, right? You, they feel like family members. Every year. So we're going to jump over. We're going to read um, a little bit of a story uh, from David. And, uh, you know, just like um, in 1 Chronicles 16, David did this thing with worship where he took the, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant and he put it in a regular tent and he set up worship around it, 24-7 worship. You guys have heard of International House of Prayer, IHOP? What they're doing is what David did. That's essentially what they're doing. They're saying, David did this. That was a good idea. Let's do that here. Obviously, we don't have the Ark of the Covenant because the government put it away at the end of that movie. But anyway, um, well, I don't want my head melted off. Um, so we, uh, David had this thing where, you know, at the time, nobody was supposed to see the altar. Nobody was supposed to be in the presence of the altar uh, because there was a separation between God and man, so there had to be a separation between the layperson and the altar. But David, David was New Testament thinking. God gave David information that he didn't give anybody else in that time. And God, God and David had this relationship where David was like, God doesn't want to be separated by, you know, whatever. He wants to be in the middle of his people in, in their worship. So he brings that out, and they all worship around it. And it was this amazing thing that shouldn't have happened, but it did. And it was super New Testament, and it was super forward thinking. And David was, again, the man after God's own heart. Um, <clears throat> well, today we're, gonna, we're, we're looking at something that's very similar to that, where... Um, 
Sorry, I'm just looking at the clock and trying to do math. We're looking at the story of David and Bathsheba. And um, there are children here, uh, so we're going to be a little bit delicate, I promise. Uh, but we're not going to go VeggieTales, promise, or VeggieTales delicate. We're not going to sing about how we love our duck. Uh, <laughs> if you guys have ever seen that version, it's pretty wonderful. I, I love it. I love my duck. You know, Larry's like, oh, that duck is so beautiful, I want it. And then he steals the duck and... Not quite what we're talking about, but, uh, but it works. So uh, it's the time of the year that the kings should have been at war, but David had just built a house, and he was like, you know what, I'm staying home. We kind of see this lapse in judgment in David um, that we hadn't really seen before. He was getting older. He'd been king for a while. He was getting really comfortable. Um, so he decided to stay home instead of go to war like he should have. Well, um, idle hands to, do tend to be the devil's playground, and uh, David's eyes were no exception to that. Either his eyes started to wander from the roof of his house. He saw this lady, Bathsheba. He was like, oh, she's pretty. She's really, really pretty. So uh, he went over to meet her. He called her over, whatever, and uh, they made some bad decisions. You know, Bathsheba made some bad decisions, too. It's not like she forgot she was married, right? Uh, and David obviously knew something, you know, and they made some bad decisions. And I think that if you don't know this story, go read it yourself. They made some bad choices. When David found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, he invited her husband, Uriah, to come home to be with his wife to, be with his wife to cover up David's bad choices. Well, Uriah actually was a man of honor. Darn it. David's like... Uriah was a man of honor. He refused to enjoy his time at home with it while his men were at war. He wouldn't even go into his house, let alone spend time with his wife. So David had to come up with a plan B. David says, uh, okay, Uriah, go back to war. And he talks to uh, the other warriors in, in his group, whatever battle group that would have been. He says, okay, you're going to go into battle. You're going to send Uriah out first. And when the battle's just about to start, I want everybody but him to step back so that he gets killed. I don't know what kind of power a king yields, but man, that like the guys who were like, okay, so we're going to get Uriah killed. King said to get Uriah killed. I don't know. It just in, The way that plays in my head, the, the movie in my mind is uh, everybody seems to be like making really bad choices, except Uriah, this really, really solid dude who inevitably dies. David then took Bathsheba to be another one of his wives, and she came to live with him in the castle with the other ladies who lived there. <clears throat> Because, um, well, David liked ducks, I guess. <laughs> so um, God's not happy with David. So God speaks to this prophet, Nathan. Nathan, I want you to go talk to King David. And so we're going to pick up uh, 2 Samuel 12, verses 1 through 6. This is Nathan. Uh, yeah, we'll just read it. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich, one was poor. <clears throat> The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb that he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man, but instead of killing the animal from his own flock or herd, the rich man took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. Let's stop for a second. You guys hear this story? How many of you like gloss over that? The whole man having the sheep eat from his plate and drink from his cup. 
You guys ever just gloss over that when you're reading through? Maybe it's not something that you really pay attention to. I never paid attention to it until now. Because one of the ladies at our Bible study on Sunday says, oh, that makes, that makes Psalm 51 seem so much more real. I'm like, Psalm 51, what? And so I, I had to look up Psalm 51 because I don't remember. And I read through it. And I was like, wait, wait, what, what did David do right before, he, right before he wrote Psalm 51? And so I click on the link and I go back and I'm like, <gasps> David and Bathsheba had just happened. And Nathan had just told him the story about the rich man who stole the lamb from the poor man. But we're not looking at the, the, what the, poor, the rich man did to the poor man. We're looking at the relationship of the poor man to the lamb. And here it says the, the man bought the lamb. He didn't actually own it. He wasn't actually rich enough to have his own flock. So this means that he was like a, a, a fairly poor person who bought a lamb from someone else with the intention of that representing his sins to God. That lamb represented his family's relationship with God and the connection of that family's relationship with God. And this rich man came and took it. And David lost his stuff. Verse 5 says, David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs for the, to the poor man for the one that he stole, having no pity. And then, of course, Nathan says to David, you are that man. And David goes, oh. So Psalm 51 I'm not going to read the whole thing, but essentially David goes into this just massive, long um, apology. He's, he's heartbroken. He's wrenched apart. He's torn apart. Um, <clears throat> he's got remorse, repentance, all the things that you would expect to feel when God basically says, you messed up. <laughs> you done messed up, eh, Ron? Um, And so he writes Psalm 51, which is, again, it's just full of remorse. God, I'm sorry for what I did. Obviously, I'm a terrible person. Please forgive me. Bring me back into right standing with you. A million worship songs have been written from Psalm 51. For, in the, for the sake of brevity, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to read 16 and 17. Because, again, we see David's heart here and his relationship with God. Yeah, 16, 17. You do not desire, this is David speaking to God, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burned offering. Again, this is David with his New Testament mind. Verse 17, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And that brings us back to Romans 12.1. Present your bodies as a living, holy sacrifice. Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. You see how we've come full circle? David, standing in the Old Testament, holding together the new and the old and bringing them around so we get to see that God's heart never changed from Old Testament to New Testament. Ha, ha, gooseies. It's so good for, to, 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 to me, because every time there's, there's we, we tend to have this idea that there's like old God and new God. There's Old Testament, fire and brimstone, you're all going to burn God. And then there's new God, oh, Jesus came, and I love you all now. God loved us all from the beginning. He loved us all the way through. It's, it, the, the story from beginning to end is a love song from a father to his children, uh, or love story from father to his children. 
And this is one of those places where we just get to see this moment where God's heart, David's pointing out that God's heart is not for me to kill an animal. You don't want me to kill an animal. An animal means nothing to you. There are a billion of them on the planet. Nobody cares about an animal. What you want is my heart to be right with you. And the same is said in Romans. So um, a little bit more of the article from William K. Gelders, the first one that we read. It says, in the Hebrew Bible, sacrifice always involves transformation. One of the most common ways to transform something is to destroy it. Destruction removes the animal from the ordinary realm and transfers it into a transcendent one. Biblical texts tell us that God received the smoke of the burnt offering as a pleasing odor. In so doing, God enjoyed a fellowship meal with human beings in God's dwelling on earth, the temple. So part of, this, part of some of these sacrifices would be eaten by everyone. Part of it would be burned so that God would have the smoke and enjoy that and we would have the food and we would all just have this moment together. It wasn't supposed to be something that was just done and, you know, it's like a barbecue, but better, right? <clears throat> these five varied sacrificial offerings have one element in common. The burning of some portion of the altar fire to trans... Sorry, uh, in the altar fire to transform the offering into a smoke or a pleasing odor that God could enjoy. Sacrifice is not a do-it-yourself activity in Leviticus. Rather, priests are required to bring about the transfer and transformation of the offering. Not only are they expert in proper procedures, but they also bear the risk of moving into God's presence. Of course, the risk of moving into God's presence is not an issue for us anymore, uh, but at the time it was. Romans 12.1 again. We're getting there, guys. Hang in there. I know, I know I'm going so long. So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. This is the way to worship him. In this scenario, we've been looking at a family. We have fathers and sons in the sacrifice. In this family situation, the, the father is the owner of the stuff. The son would be the shepherd, right? Like King David was a shepherd. Um, all the families that had flocks, usually one of the kids, like I would send out. Okay, I wouldn't send out my boy, but maybe my daughter, because she has a, he forgets stuff. He'd come home with like, he'd come home with like half of the sheep, and I'd be like, where are the sheep? He'd be like, uh, what sheep? <laughs> I gave you sheep. I love you, son, but you're not. He's not even listening. He's not even, he doesn't even know I'm talking about him. He's going to hit me later. It's going to be funny. It's going to be great. So we have the father. We have the son who is the shepherd. And then, of course, we have the sacrifice. So in, in our discussion, in this, the way that this is kind of forming in my mind and that I would hope it would be forming in yours if you're still awake, because uh, I know it's long. Uh, but who is the father in this scenario? Obviously, the father, right? We're talking about God. Who is the son? Jesus, who calls himself the good shepherd over and over again. And who is the sacrifice? Who deserves to die for their sins? Me. But who died? Huh? John 10.10, 10, and this is where I started crying last night. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. And that's where the Bible memory verse... That was an accident. That's where the, the Sunday school Bible memory verse thing ends, right? The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but God comes to give life and life more, more abundantly. 
Verse 11 goes on to say, where Jesus says, red letters, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. Does Jesus' sacrifice make me any less sacrifice? Again, we're looking at two tenses. We've got the past tense and current tense, right? There's, there's um, this sheep that's been growing up in my house is the sacrificed sheep. It's a sacrificial sheep. But something else died in its place. It's still that sacrifice. So what I would hope that we are able to do moving forward is look at our lives. Does this make us any less sacrifices? Do we not look at our lives as the man's children in Nathan's story would have? Okay, the, the children in, in Nathan's story would have looked at that sheep and said, oh, I love this sheep. I've spent so much time with it. It's going to die. Do we look at our own lives like that? They were reminded every day that their pet lamb was set to die for their sins. Should our lives not be a daily reminder that the shepherd sacrificed himself in place of us? It's important to remember that we do have value. We're not sinners saved by grace. Uh, we were a sinner that was saved by grace. Now we're children of God. Sons and daughters of the Most High King. Princes and princesses, kings and kingdom, all that stuff. That's who we are. Jesus paid that price. We have value. But it's important that we remember we are the sacrifice for the sins that we, that we committed. But Jesus died for that. What does that do to your understanding? When you look in the mirror and say, that guy should have died for the sins. That guy should have died for who he was, but Jesus saved him. What does that do to the way that you live your life? Should our lives not be a daily reminder that the shepherd sacrificed himself in place of his sheep? The transformation of the living sacrifice comes not through the death and incineration, Remember we read just a minute ago about how transformation was important in the sacrificial system? The transformation of the living sacrifice comes not through death and incineration, but rather through the care of the shepherd and priest. Because Romans 12.2 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And now I better understand what that means. The sacrifice is still transformed. The sacrifice is still the sacrifice. It just doesn't die. Jesus died in place of the sacrifice, and the sacrifice lives on being transformed, not through the burning and the death and going to hell or whatever it would have been before Jesus died for us. Our transformation comes through the love of Christ and waking up every day and looking in the mirror and saying, I deserve to die. He died for me. So what am I going to do with this day? What am I going to do with this gift? This life that I was given. I want to play, uh, I want to sing one more song with you guys.
and then I'll let you go. But is there anyone here? Um, I don't know really how you guys do stuff. Um, but at home, uh, I would ask everyone to stand. So let's do that. Would everybody stand, please? So if you're here this morning and um, this is all new to you, uh, maybe you maybe you haven't started a relationship, maybe you, you're not a Christian, maybe you haven't gotten saved, maybe you're just a, a sacrifice living your, your inevitable sacrifice life. Or maybe you're someone here today who looks in that mirror every day and says, man, what have I done with myself? Maybe you're somebody who's like, God's given me such a great gift and I've just squandered it. Either way, um, like we were singing about earlier, God pours himself out continuously. Every day that you wake up is another chance to, to turn the ship and to come back to what God has for you. So I'd encourage you this morning to uh, just take this next few minutes, these last few minutes while we're together, and just let Holy Spirit lead you to where you need to go.
your nature, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you say. Every painted sky, a canvas of your grace. If creation still obeys you, so will I. So
as we go out and leave this place over the next week, over the next months. God, I pray that you would continue just to show us revelations of who you are, of your love for us, God, that we would continue to understand who you are. God, not just for our own benefit, but so that we can step out and share that love with the world, God. Not so that we can squander the gift, but so that we can use the gift, we can spread the gift, God. Thank you so much for who you are and what you've done. In your name we pray.